Welcome to Sheer Clarity, the show that will teach you about leadership by attraction, building self-awareness, and how to develop exceptional self-management abilities that will help you become more reflective, more open, more trusting, and more engaging with the people who matter to you most. In other words, make you a better leader. Head on over to SheerClarity.com where you can learn more, subscribe to the show for free, and connect on social media. And now, here's your host, Jay Kevin McHugh. Hey, everyone. Hi. Welcome to Share Clarity. Jay Kevin McHugh, your host. And alongside me, my sidekick and faithful producer, Matthew Passy. Hi, Matthew. Hey, Kevin. How's it going? We're doing fine. We went crazy the last episode on halftime, and I think we just scratched the surface. We promised the listeners like a two-parter. So after last week's episode, I thought, oh, man, speaking of halftime, I thought we got like one quarter of the way in there. (laughs) (laughs) And the next thing you know, 28 minutes is gone and we're back and we're supposed to like wrap up the second half. So that's what we're going to try and do today. We're going to have a conversation We talked about what halftime was, and we got you engaged in that and hopefully spun your gears in your head. I wanted to make sure that I did something practical, which I don't think I did last episode, so I want to do it right now. I want us to put up on the website what I call the 20 questions for the second half of life. I will have that as a PDF, and there'll be a link, and you can download it. What is it? Well, I'm just going to read the first couple and you'll get a sense of this. You ready? Okay, here you go. This is what I want every listener who's eh, 45, 43, 50, 55. You could ask these questions anytime if you want, but they're pretty specific to this halftime. Number one, what do I have left to do with my life to say it was successful? If my life were perfect in every way, what would it look like? What am I missing in my life right now that's very important to me? What is it about my life right now that makes me feel obligated or trapped? What steps should I be taking to make the second half of my life better than the first? What does money mean to me right now? What will it mean in 10 years, in 20 years? How much is enough? What does enough look like? Then we have your classic legacy questions. What do I want them to say at my funeral? What do I want to be remembered for? And I'll stop there. There's another 12 or 14 questions on my 20 questions of a life sheet that'll be up there. I will also share something with folks from an author named Bronnie, B-R-O-N-N-I-E, Bronnie Ware, W-A-R-E. And the book is The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And here's what they are. I wish I had had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I'd had more courage to express my feelings. 
I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. I wish I had let myself be happier. We'll post those up there as well because those are great questions. So in a quick intro to this episode here, part two of Halftime is we are really trying to get the listeners to have a meaningful conversation with themselves so that you can actually think pointing ahead. If I take a position today, where am I and where do I want to be in the second half? Those of you who are not quite there and maybe you're in your 20s and 30s and maybe you're approaching 40, if you're thoughtful about it, these questions can work for you because they start guiding you, right? And they start getting you thinking. And I'll tell you something. So let's say you're in the 20-something category, the mid-late 20s. If you're the kind of person at this stage of your life who actually is listening to the podcast and finds these questions interesting to you, I can tell you right now, that's going to set you apart in any organization you're working in because they're the kind of questions that actually are usually attached with some kind of maturation. There are questions that people usually aren't asking until later in life. But if you're asking them as a younger person, it suggests or implies that you're kind of older than your years. And guess what? People will pay for maturity. <laughs> yes, they will. Yes, okay. they will. <laughs> they will pay for maturity. And if they're going to get maturity in a 20-something who's freaking hot off the presses and ready to rock and roll and has like super – decent above average IQ, has a work ethic and a super dedication, and all of a sudden is like this thoughtful person who's like already self-aware and thinking about themselves and sounds older than their years, you will write your own ticket anywhere you want to go. Anyway, that's a quick little sidebar for any of the viewers. I hope, I don't know, do podcasters ever get a handle on their age categories of their listeners? Is that data we could get sometime? The industry itself is dominated by the sort of 25 to 55 range, although we're seeing a little bit more growth in the 55 plus and the 18 to 25. But yeah, I mean, we're talking mostly folks who are in second quarter, halftime of their life as we're uh, talking about it here. But it's funny, you're bringing up all these things that are pre-halftime traits, but folks who are asking these questions before the halftime of their life, and we're kind of focusing on the latter of the halftime of their life at this point, but folks who are thinking about this in the former halftime of their life, it is tough to teach maturity. It is tough to train maturity. Skills and systems and operating procedures for a company can be taught, but you can't train maturity. And so if you're listening to this and you are starting off and thinking about it, as Kevin said, you'll definitely be a step ahead of everybody else. Bingo. I have a question for you. The term midlife crisis, have you ever heard that term? Of course. Okay. So if we're successful here, here's what I want people to do. I want people to differentiate between a midlife crisis and what we're calling halftime. So a midlife crisis, here's the characteristics. I'm afraid of aging. I'm starting to get anxious and worried. I don't know if I have enough money. My interests are narrowing. I've got some fatigue and depression. I'm unhappy with my job. I'm not happy with my marriage. I'm sort of just shut down, resigned. Maybe I'm actually showing signs of rebellion because I don't agree with others' agendas. And what I really want is feeling peace and security, and I don't have it, right? And that's the 
just like this angst. What we wanted you to think about is if you take some charge over this whole halftime thing, this is what I'm looking for. Contrast this to the midlife crisis that I just described and think of this. Somebody's looking forward to the future. Somebody who's eager and excited and getting an adrenaline rush about what's coming. Expanded interests in a renaissance, a regeneration, a new energy. There's anticipation. There's thinking of the big picture. I'm more open. I'm more engaged. I'm, I'm sort of setting my own agenda. And I realize that security is just a myth. Then I'm not going to let it slow me down. And I know that anything can happen at any time. And I got to live every moment of every day like it could be the last one. That's halftime to be contrasted with worry and fear and anxiety and loss of passion and fatigue and tiredness. And I'd ask the listeners, where are you? Like, where are you? Yeah. Are you thinking about buying that? Corvette because you're worried about not feeling young anymore? Or are you in <laughs> investing in more skills, more training, more ideas? Because like you said, there's still 30 minutes left of the game to play. Bingo, 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 bingo. What about on the leadership side specifically though? Say that again? I said, what about on the leadership side specifically? How do you mean? Tell me a little bit more about your question. So I get well, I mean, how do we see this play out in leaders? How do we see this play out in the boss? Folks who are going through halftime versus being in a midlife crisis and panicking, you know, at the company. Got it. By the way, I just want to take a moment to tell people what we just did there. Matthew asked me a question. The truth is my brain was not focused on it because I was already thinking about what the heck I was going to try and say <laughs> next that was really like sexy and important. So I missed it. So instead of like just trying to wing it, I stopped and I went, wait a minute, what did you say? <laughs> okay. And then he answered and I still didn't understand it. <laughs> And so I asked him again, and I said, could you explain a little bit more? And then he gave me this really nice, long, robust answer. And I had an internal feeling of, oh, okay, now I get it. So what I want you folks to do is ask yourself the question, do you have any idea how much you spend your day going, ah, yeah, I don't know, I'm going to answer your question, and you actually didn't know what the hell the question was really about? Are you <laughs> waiting for your turn to speak or are you listening? Oh, yes, yes. I have seen many, many cultivations of the art of looking like you're really leaning into listening and when in fact your brain is saying, please shut up so I may speak. <laughs> yeah, lean forward, like lean in, look at them, make eye contact, and your brain is going, shut up so I can tell you what brilliance I have. <laughs> We're going to do a couple of episodes about feedback and then we'll do communication as well. Let me finish this answer to your question because I'm rambling. As leaders, what you need is a foundation of confidence because in a nutshell, if you want to be attractive, people need to look to you as a calm in the storm, as a voice of reason, as a person who's engaged and a person who listens 
and above all else is a person who cares, cares not just about the issue, but cares about the people on the team, in the room, in the company dealing with the issue. And if you are in a halftime crisis or a midlife crisis, trust me, you will not exude the calm, quiet, confident energy that people need to witness, experience, and feel. And that is why you need to do this reflection about halftime and know where you are, understand the score, pick the meaningful targets and goals, not be hijacked by the fleeting sort of worldly things of money and power and fame. We want leaders who are transcending that stuff, know where it fits, keep it in perspective, and know that in the end, what makes for a meaningful life is a life of purpose, is a life of relationships, um, and you'll be remembered for the kind of individual you were, not the Corvette. Did I answer your question? I believe you did, yes. <laughs> okay. So let's share this with the listeners. And this is from a follow-up book on this halftime topic, and it's called Finishing Well. And we'll put it up on the website if people want to download it. We'll get a link to Amazon or something so people can pick it up. This was based on some conversations that Bob Buford, the author of Halftime, had with Peter Drucker. And if I have listeners right now who are approaching halftime, these are the kinds of things that would be principles for you to consider building your second half on. I don't think I'll get to them all in today's episode, but I'll tell you a couple of the important ones. Peter starts out with, can you find out who you are? As you evolve, and Matthew, you're in the process of evolving, I'm in the process. Everyone who's listening to this show is evolving. And as you evolve, one of the main questions you should be conscious of is like, who am I anyway? And that is an all-encompassing question. It gets at your values. It gets at your strengths. It gets at your passions. And when you are out there and you're thinking about the second half of your life, you do need to become familiar with like, who you are, so that you can be constantly repositioning yourself towards success. In fact, you can be ready for it when it comes, because you never know exactly where it's going to come and when your opportunity is going to show up. So if you want to be moving from something that you might call success now gotten a good job and I have a good title and I have a good income, that's fine. I mean, let's call that success. But that's a long ways away from something we would call significance. So you want to get positioned for significance and you better find out who you are so that you know what you might be able to accomplish in the second half. So now I'll bring you to one of the other principles in the second half that Peter talks about. This is so catchy to me, and I hope the younger listeners will appreciate this. 
one of Peter's comments was, everybody ends up making a series of goals in life. I want to make a million dollars. I want to have two homes. I want to have two children. I want my children to go to Ivy League schools. Pick it, you know, pick whatever that is. We're always marking achievements by things acquired or things that we can say about our achievements. One of Peter's principles about becoming significant is make your life your end game. In other words, the goal is not just about an achievement-based life or a prosperous life with lots of material goods and accolades. I'll just sidebar for a minute. I always am intrigued when I go into a client's office or a prospective client and I'm assaulted in their office by a wall of covers of magazines behind frames with the picture of the person. Of course, you have to. Inc. 500, <laughs> Entrepreneur of the Year, blah, 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 blah. And there they are with their picture, holding their trophy. I have mixed emotions. I mean, yeah, you should be proud. I, I get it. But I'm not sure of the motive of plastering your own office walls with your pictures of your achievements. I would rather have pictures of my employees I'd rather have pictures of the new product they just invented. I'd rather have a picture of our safety record from last year with no reported injuries, right? That's what I'd want in my office. That's what matters. Anyway, what Peter's suggesting is if you don't think in terms of acquiring accolades and covers of magazines and money, but actually think in terms of how do I make meaning out of this life. At some point, and I give this to my younger listeners as well as the folks who are in this right now, at some point I can tell you 100% of the people at one point or another come up with this question in the mind, what the hell is this all about anyway? I don't know when it's going to come. I don't know how often it'll come. I don't know whether you'll ignore it when it comes or whether you'll take it seriously. Life is perplexing. And chasing the dream, as identified by power and money and everything else, I'm telling you right now, it is not enough. It will not be enough. I've lived long enough. I've been around a thousand or more CEOs in a lot of intimate settings. I've coached hundreds of them intimately. And the bottom line is people arrive at a place where they go, is this it? That's it? How many houses can I have? And how many cars can I have? And how long does it last? And it just isn't enough. And they go, what do I do now? So this particular principle that is in the book, Moving from Success to Significance, is my goal is my life. My end game is to live a full and meaningful life. And I set my sights on achievements that matter, that may make a difference in the lives of people. 
And that could be as simple as making a difference in the life of your own spouse, partner, in the lives of your children, in the lives of that small team of people that you supervise. That's what matters. That's what you'll be remembered for. While it's okay to have the desire to acquire, that's good, and that you can get it, it will not have any lasting meaning. You ready for the next one? Yep. Fire away. Okay. This one is counterintuitive. This is really interesting. I love planners because without them, I wouldn't have a plan. I am not a planner. I'm an evolutionary, opportunistic, evolving person. I just kind of roll out and see what's happening. I know I needed total independence, so I have it because I unfortunately can't work well with others. But in the end, I never really got this planning thing. But there are a lot of people planning what Peter was saying in his orientation of the second half of your life. Be careful that planning in and of itself about your life and your achievements really doesn't work. You can prepare yourself You can learn the things that you ought to know. You can expand your experience and your skills and your competencies. But ultimately, he says, your opportunities come in over the transom. Now, for those who may not know what a transom is, I believe it's in the old designs of a lot of offices back in the day, there was a door and over the top of the door was another window up at the top. Sometimes it would open. That would be the transom or maybe the transom is just the doorway. This point was this stuff just shows up and there it is. So while you may have been busy planning out your life in the perfect life to be, you may miss the opportunity that comes across the transom and that you need to be flexible. You need to be ready. You need to be able to seize an opportunity. And his thought was that too much planning can make you deaf to the opportunity. So knowing what you want and being prepared and equipped to do it is much more important to be generally ready than it is to have all the hows and all the steps lined out. And you may have an opportunity knocks only once. You need to be there listening for it. You almost have to be ready for an accident to happen. And if you are way too focused on planning and your head's too far down in it and you're too rigid in trying to make everything come out the right way, you might miss it. It might just come and go, and you've missed it. Does that make sense, Matthew? I mean, does that resonate to you? Yeah, it's sort of like the concept of perfect is the enemy of good. We talk about this in podcasting all the time. You'll never do anything if you're so focused on being perfect. Just get started. Just get it out there. Start making the mistakes right away so that you can learn from them, so you can improve. But if you're waiting and you're planning and you're over-planning, you'll freeze, and then you'll, you'll just never get started. You know, it's actually, as we were talking, I just grabbed the book that I recommend to the readers called Finishing Well, and I grabbed this section, and Peter Drucker tells a story that he turned down a couple of big jobs. One was at Goldman Sachs, another one was at Stanford Business School. He said, I turned them down not because they weren't good jobs, but they weren't actually the right jobs for me. And the learning from that was you sort of have to learn to say no and what to say no to and what to say yes to. And you really don't want to say no because that's not in my plan. You get the idea? Like, I had this plan and I can't do that. Why? Because it doesn't fit the plan. 
And he's going, no. The only reason you'd say no is because it wasn't the right opportunity, not because it wasn't in your plan. And so super planners, it's kind of a word of caution to you. There's the adage, you know, man plans, God laughs. So, you know, don't live by your plan. (laughs) Amen. I'll leave the last one. This was kind of a a fun one. Maybe finish here. The principle is you have to know the difference between harvesting and planting. Most of us, the early part of our career is all this planting. We're getting organized. We're getting ready. We're making a mark. We're getting prepared. We're learning what we need to learn. And then we get into the warrior years of producing, making money, building, expanding, and tending the farm. But eventually, you have to be prepared where the planting season is over. And it's now time to think about harvesting. And so while you're in the busy planting phases, the idea is think about what is it I will harvest as a consequence of what I've been planting? What's it going to look like when it's harvest time? So as you're looking at your career, as you're looking at your orientation, as you're looking at the way you interact with people, the way you lead them, the way you encounter them, the way you touch them, there will be a time when all that planting and all those seeds, it's going to come home to roost. It'll be time to harvest. So much of what the people I work with, my coaching for executives, they measure their work by their output, right? They measure it in terms of the money they earn and everything else. And when they turn around and it's really harvest time, they have nothing. So I want people to be thinking about why you're planting now. Be planting seeds of relationships and friendships and meaning and having a career where you look back and people admired you, not necessarily because of the scoreboard, but because of the way you dealt with people. And you become remembered as a person who was trustworthy, who was respected, who was admired, who always had time for others. And there's a lot of books now about going into the second half of life and having meaning and significance and all of the things that everybody was looking for in terms of production and money and wealth and material, it just doesn't last. So I'll leave it at the final point. Be prepared right now. What phase are you in? Am I in a planting phase? What am I planting? And when I know what I'm planting, what is the likely harvest? And am I prepared to end the planting season at some point and come to harvesting what it is from the seeds I planted. And I'll stop there. And just to the point that you were making just a few moments ago, there's this quote, people may not remember exactly what you did or what you said, but they will always remember how you made them feel. Bingo. Bada boom. Yeah. And that's credited to Maya Angelou. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. And we want to know how we make you feel. So let us know. Drop in some feedback at the website, sheerclarity.com, or email us, kevin at sheerclarity.com. Tell us how we made you feel about halftime. Tell us where you are. Tell us if this discussion has made you think differently about your life approaching halftime, coming through the halftime, getting through the third quarter. Maybe you're hitting the fourth quarter and you've had a new revelation. Thanks to what we've heard. We want to know 
what impact this is having on you or if there's something else that maybe we missed that you want us to clarify. So again, it's Kevin at SheerClarity.com or the website SheerClarity.com. There's a form right there you can fill out and drop us some feedback. In the meantime, while you're there, you can also find show notes related to this episode. We'll have a full list of the 20 questions you should ask yourself, the 10 things to think about, links to the books that Kevin is mentioning, links to social media to connect with us, ways to subscribe for free to this podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, all those platforms, as well as just a host of other incredible resources that will help you gain sheer clarity so you can become the consummate leader by attraction. Again, it's all at sheerclarity.com. He's J. Kevin McHugh. I'm Matthew Passy. It has been our pleasure, and we will see you next time on Sheer Clarity.